Welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm John Harrington, the editor of PR Week UK. Now, International Men's Day has just passed, and in that spirit, PR Week has been looking at the experience of men in PR. I published a comment piece last week arguing in favour of an advocacy group for men in the industry to support in areas like mental health support, attitudes around parental leave, and generally being a supportive voice to a group that is a numerical minority in comms, albeit one overrepresented at the top. It was inspired really by Caitlin Moran's best-selling book this year, What About Men?, which looks in depth at how society and culture often fail to support men and boys. I'd like to repeat the caveat that I gave in my article. This is in no way to underplay the prejudice and unfair treatment experienced by many women in PR. PR's gender pay gap is still too high. It shouldn't exist at all, of course. And too many women leave the industry too early for reasons we've reported on in PR Week. And in fact, we had three episodes of Beyond the Noise on the crucial topic in the past 16, 18 months or so. PR Week will continue to champion women in the industry, not least through the mentoring scheme with women in PR and the Pay Gaps project with people like us. But this episode is about the men. And joining me today, we have Emmanuel Ofosu Apia, Associate Director at Edwin Smithfield and also Vice Chair of the PRCA Race and Ethnicity Equity Board. Welcome, Emmanuel. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. Very welcome. And we have Will Cook, Deputy MD of PR Agency Harvard. Welcome, Will. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Great. Well, thanks both of you for, for taking part in this. I thought first, I mean, you're both on for specific reasons that you've been looking at some of the issues at hand and be, been involved in them. And um, Will, I'd like to come to you first. Harvard introduced a scheme called Wednesday Wanderers to help men at the agency in various different ways. Could you please give us a bit of background about this? What is it? Why it was introduced and, and the impact it has had? Yes, definitely. So I guess, as you were saying as well, John, just to give a teeny bit of a broader context. So at Harvard, we have a DE&I strategy, which actually has six pillars to it, one of which is gender. And we've built out quite a lot of training programs there already focused on uh, our female identifying colleagues, particularly focused around getting them into those leadership positions that you talk of and, and ensuring that they've got the right environment to thrive um, and we're, we're helping them on the right skill set. We recognised when we were looking at it from a, a male perspective, that there was a slightly different challenge that we potentially faced there. One, a lot more around the mental health side of things and then opening up about how they're, they're feeling. So hence, about 18 months ago now, we launched uh, Wednesday Wonders, which it uh, does really what it says on the 10. It takes place on a fortnightly basis on a Wednesday, unsurprisingly. And it's for the male identifying employees in the business where we go for a wander around St. James's Park and really just have a talk about how things are going. We did it as a wander rather than a coffee because there's a lot of science, a lot of data out there that suggests that people walking side by side can actually open up more and have more of a conversation about how they're feeling rather than when you're sat across the desk from someone. It can sometimes be that little bit more intimidating. Um, it's not, it's not the silver bullet answer in terms of mental health and, and addressing everything, but we have certainly seen it bring some benefits from starting the conversation, male identifying employees within the business starting to um, open up about how they're feeling, um, reflecting and consciously reflecting on how they're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis and thinking about their mental health. But probably just as important, maybe more, it, it really normalises the behaviour. So we don't have people, when we are having a stressful day, like feeling like they have to put a, 
a constantly grey face on things. Um, so ultimately, we our hope is, and as we feel it has over the last 18 months, it starts to create a bit more of a virtuous cycle around opening up uh, and mental health. Great, thank you. That's such a crucial point, isn't it, about sort of feeling able to open up and sort of show vulnerability and, and so on. It's it's often something that, you know, traditionally it's, it's said that men men struggle with. So coming on to you, Emmanuel, you're also, as I mentioned, part of, of REEB, which this year produced a report called Behind the Mask, which looks at, among other things, the lived experience of black and Asian men in PR. And what were some of the main findings? Yeah, so um, Behind the Mask was a study that we did this year, as you said, looking at the lived experiences of black and Asian men in PR. And um, there were some really quite interesting findings. One of them was, you know, a lot of men from um, ethnic backgrounds were saying that they were kind of hesitating to be their true self within the workplace. One of the comments that we had was, I'm a little too wooden, a little too cold and a little too serious and a little too bureaucratic. Is there any reason why I'm a consummate professional and I've still been able to survive? And that was just a really kind of hard-hitting kind of response from someone within the industry saying that, you know, they've been in the industry for a long time um, and they still kind of hesitate to be their true self. And some of the other findings were, you know, there were people that were kind of worried about long-term career progression because they looked up the chain and they'd seen that people from ethnic backgrounds were not really kind of represented at the most senior levels within communications. Um, and another finding that we also had was how people were being perceived in the workplace, especially from black and Asian backgrounds. I think um, a lot of people were really conscious of their upbringing as well. Um, some people were not really exposed to public relations until really later on in their career. So sometimes some people felt that they weren't as qualified or they'd come into the industry via a totally different route to other people that had come into the industry. So these were just some of the lived experiences that we wanted to bring out. And obviously it was quite remarkable to see that, you know, amongst a set of ethnic professionals, there were some of these common issues that were being raised. And we kind of just put it out there into the marketplace just to talk around some of the issues that, you know, we felt had to be addressed by the industry. The fact that it was people from all different levels within the communications industry was really eye-opening as well. And it showed us that, you know, even though the industry has come a long way, there's still some way to go. So we're actually trying to, hopefully, we want to be looking to do an even bigger study across the world because this study was focused just on the UK. We wanted to see, look, is this an issue globally as well? Is it just a UK thing or are people feeling the same way across the globe? So you might see another study in future uh, looking at this issue from a kind of global perspective. But those are just some of the key findings that we that we found. Right. Thank you. Yes. No, it really seems to expose some of the, the important issues there. We talk a lot in the industry, don't we, about women kind of disappearing from a career path after having children. It's something that women in PR bring up quite a lot. And it's one of the things that they campaign against, really, and look for ways to help women, which is which is exactly right. It's not often discussed, really, how men feel, I find, when they become fathers. And maybe there's a bit of pressure to take less time in parental leave. I mean, there's the classic sort of two weeks and then you're back, which, as far as I can tell, seems to be still quite a popular route. It strikes me that this isn't necessarily ideal either. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think this is a bit of a problem for men as well? How, how can you sort of see this kind of dynamic playing out sometimes? I'm a father, an active father at the moment. I've got two children. I think in the industry, there is a perception that, you know, men will just get on with it. And I remember becoming a father for the first time. It was a lot to take on mentally, emotionally. You know, the child is born and you're just there 
you know, the first few weeks you can't really do anything because, you know, they're so attached to their mother and you feel like kind of out of place. You're just sitting there thinking, oh, my days, like the, the child's here, but I don't really have an active role yet. And then all of a sudden the child may be one years old and you're working in full-time work, managing all your client responsibilities. And it's kind of trying to find a balance as to being an active participant, but also staying on top of your work as well, because obviously you have to do the school runs. Sometimes you don't get enough sleep all these little things there that you have to kind of take into account. And I'm not saying that um, we have to stick up for ourselves, but I think we have to also uh, realise that it is a, a massive challenge that some men are just not ready for. I know some men that have struggled so much, you know, after having their first child. And I think some of them are feeling like they can't talk up about it because as men, we try to keep things to ourselves and we try to feel that, you know, anytime we show a bit of weakness, people are going to look at us in a different way. And I, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think there needs to be more support for for men and even more support for women, I think, within our industry around kind of parental leave. And I just feel that, you know, as men within our industry, we should be able to talk about some of these issues openly. And yeah, that's just my, my point of view on, on that topic. Yeah, I think it's important points. I mean, do, do you feel that we should kind of normalise as an industry the idea of men taking more time off as parental leave? Do you think that's, a, I mean, and obviously it's not just this industry, it's, it's society generally, but it's, it strikes me that other, some other countries maybe are a bit more developed when it comes to this. You know, I'm thinking of Scandinavia, really. What, what are your thoughts on, on sort of parental leave, really, whether that we've, got, we've got that balance right? From my perspective, and full disclaimer, I'm, I'm not, a, not a father currently, only my child is my cat called beans so quick shout out to her <laughs> um i think what's interesting and what you're getting at john is the two challenges of or as you rightly point up top women disappearing out to the industry to look after children and then obviously some of the challenges that emmanuel was talking to that they're, they're intrinsically interlinked and i think there's lots there's lots we can say about creating environments and lots of Positive messaging, we can be pussy out there, but like a lot of things in in life and without sounding too much like a politician, you I think it really has to come down to the policy that you put in place and getting that right. As much parity as possible around that is actually something that we've over the last 18, uh, 24 months looked at a fair bit ourselves and we now offer the secondary carer three months paternity leave too. So it means that actually that often the, the, the man too can take up to um, three months uh, leave and get a bit more of balance as well in terms of managing the day-to-day and spending some time with their newborn. And I think that's really important because not only does it give them that time, but also again, we start to see more normalising a situation in which men are out of the business for a period of time yes it's not as long and i think there's obviously still more to be done there but i think if we're going to really make the types of steps you're you're talking about there john i think a lot more not just pr industry i think industries as a whole we have to be quite a bit firmer on ourselves when it comes to some of the policies we put in place yeah good point i mean we were sort of talking about stereotypes earlier on about you know, men not necessarily wanting to discuss how they feel and feeling vulnerable. Do you think there are other sort of unfair stereotypes about men in this industry that that should be addressed? And and incidentally, I'm I'm not saying that there isn't a lot of bad behaviour that happens at the time by by men in the industry. Should reiterate that caveat. But nevertheless, do you think there are some slightly unfair sometimes stereotypes about about men in in the sector? With the same caveat that you put on there, John, I'd say from my perspective, it's 
probably less unfair, and I'd probably say there may be are potentially some unhealthy stereotypes that definitely exist. I think one around the levels of emotional intelligence that sometimes men can demonstrate and over too much around levels of aggression too. Now, I do also want to be super clear, you know, I can't speak or represent all men. And I, as you say, I'm sure many of which of that is, is, is well-founded based on some traits that um, males have, have demonstrated within the industry. But I think the challenges with stereotypes like that or those perceptions is it, it starts to then create that little bit more of a vicious cycle around things where actually particularly starts to get into a a more senior position you demonstrate you think that those types of the behaviors that you need to be having as a and demonstrating on a day-to-day basis a norm that you can't you can't get anything wrong and you've got to be always right so I think there's there's a couple of different themes there which I would say more unhealthy and then the final point on stereotypes in general and actually we were talking about this around International Men's Day last week within the business is around intersectionality and how everyone will have their own presence that they bring to the office based on a multitude of things that have come from their upbringing and how they're feeling on a day-to-day basis and, and the journey they're going on in life. And I think that's just something we need to definitely as an industry and as agencies and uh, commerce people, we need to put a little bit more onus on and, and consciously think about that a little bit more too. Just touching on the point around men um, and stereotypes, I think um, probably one stereotype is that, you know, a lot of men don't have any like empathy or or care, especially at the more senior level. And I, I kind of think that's not a stereotype that I would want to actively advocate for or believe. You know, I've come across so many like senior men in the industry that have shown me care. They've taken time out to, you know, guide me, mentor me, give me advice. And it's been so crucial to my career up until this point, having, you know, men at the more senior level kind of just showing a bit of care. You know, even when you're going through difficult moments, you know, someone within your organization actually noticing that you're going through a hard time and just pulling you aside and saying, look, is everything okay? And for me, that's that's just been so crucial because there have been times when I've been going through a lot of stuff like mentally and you're kind of struggling in the corner and you feel that, oh, you know, because I'm a guy, no one's really going to take any notice of it. But it's always good to be seen and for someone to show a bit of empathy towards you because then that gives you a bit of comfort knowing that you know, you're actually supported and, you know, people actually do care for you as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very good point. I mean, one thing I notice is the sort of, this sense that men don't have imposter syndrome or it's certainly less common. And I know a lot of guys who talk to me about their imposter syndrome. And I know some people in this industry as well who talk about it. So it feels like things like that, although I, I understand that, you know, maybe it is more common among women. I, I don't know, it may be. It does feel like that kind of stereotyping, although I can understand that it exists and maybe why it exists, it also feels like judging people on their gender so much doesn't really feel particularly helpful just thinking about the kind of you know the sort of stereotype about multitasking that that men can't multitask I always find that a bit strange I'm not saying I necessarily can incidentally but yeah it does feel like maybe there are some men who can 
Shout out to all the men who can multitask listening to this. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, moving on. I, I was kind of mentioning one of the interesting dynamics about this industry when it comes to gender is the fact that the industry is about two thirds female. As I mentioned earlier, it's not that way in the senior levels, but across the board, across the workforce. Do you think this kind of presents particular dynamics when it comes to being a male manager? Because, you know, the likelihood is most of the people who report into you are going to be female do you have any particular reflections on this, given it's an unusual situation in terms of an industry? I've never made that distinction from purely based on gender, that from a line manager perspective or those that I'm managing, that I need to behave in a different way, purely based on their gender. Generally try to look at it through a much more holistic lens of what that individual needs to help them to be able to thrive. Now, I'm sure some some people would look at my line management style and say, well, I'm sure that I've got no doubt there are biases that exist and certainly nobody, myself very much so, is, is, is perfect. But I think it's, as we're saying, you need to um, demonstrate strong emotional intelligence and really link everything back to helping them thrive as an individual based on where they are and where they want to get to. And it's not something that I've necessarily tried to put a, a particular lens on that if it's go, oh, right, if I'm going to be supporting a, a man, then I, I need to dial up or dial down certain behaviours or vice versa. Maybe there are. I'm sure I'm sure some of my colleagues may have, have other things to sell me within a 360. But I think I think the one thing that I do recognise, and maybe this is something where men aren't so open to embracing it when they need it is with management particularly when it comes to line management when you've really got the you're holding someone's and you're really career and guiding them and then to inspire them is that you don't always necessarily have the right answers or you don't have the full answer and being able to lean in on your broader network being able to advise them that there might be external training to be thinking about or mentoring or whatever those routes are it's not that as managers, we have to have the complete answer. And I think that's something that men don't, don't do quite so well. Interesting. Yeah. Emmanuel, do you have any particular thoughts on this? Do you think there is pressure on, on men, maybe more than women, to feel that they have to have the answer there and then? Or is that a bit unfair? I think it's a bit unfair. Um, I think when it comes to management in general, I think you should just view people as human beings first of all and just take gender out of it just view people based on their ability and their skill and their potential as well it's sometimes as a manager you look at someone based on the potential that they bring to an organization or to a role and seeing that they may not be where they need to be but as long as you're helping them on their way that's all you can do really and that's that's the way I see it as as someone that you know manages people I think you know your role is to bring the best out of them. And you're also there to kind of support them to reach their full potential as well. So I don't even look at it as a, a male or female thing, regardless of who I'm managing. I just want that person to be the best that they can be. Good. Makes sense. And actually, I'd quite like to reflect on Emmanuel, because previously you worked in-house, didn't you, before, for your Edelman. I just wonder if you think there's a sort of particular difference in terms of, you know, expectations of men in-house versus agency. There might not be a particular difference, but... Obviously, it could be a different dynamic, which side you're working in. So, yeah, do you have any particular reflections on on that? Mm, I do not think there's a, a particular perception of men for 
in-house or agency roles but I definitely do feel like there's a few kind of distinct differences you know I was in-house at Mercer for three years and before that I was an agency for about seven and I've kind of done 360 isn't it I've gone from agency to in-house and I've come back to agency again which is a bit different to what most people do most people go in-house and then they never come back into agency again but I felt like there was a lot more that I could learn coming back to an agency like Edelman Smithfield working with different clients across financial services was something that I really wanted to do. But when you talk about in-house, I definitely feel that you have to kind of get to know your stakeholders, your key stakeholders as soon as possible and know, you know, how that plays into the wider business and also know the key goals of your organization and how your marketing objectives fit into the organization's kind of long-term financial goals. And obviously when you're in-house, you're working with probably a lot of the time a much smaller team. So understanding how to work with these people is really important because you're going to be working with them day in and day out. Whereas agency, you probably have a lot more clients and you're kind of spread out across a lot more kind of firms. So that definitely brings into concentration your ability to multitask. I think when I first came into Edelman, I kind of had the perception that, yeah, oh, this is going to be a walk in the park because, you know, I've done the in-house thing, I've done the agency thing. But coming back into agency after a few years, I was just like, oh my God, this, it isn't as easy as I thought. So I had to kind of really rely on my team and people around me to get me up to speed, which is great. I've been there for a year and a half now. But, you know, when I first came in, I probably came in a bit blind thinking, yeah, I've done agency before. This is going to be, <laughs> it's just going to be a walk in the park. But you have to still learn your your clients you know, need to understand the issues that they're facing across so many different kind of areas and also build relationships with your clients because these are kind of like now your external stakeholders as well as people within your organization. You need to understand how to work with people internally and externally. Yeah, thank you. It's interesting you use the term walk in a park because that seems to correlate quite well to what Harvard has been doing with their scheme. So yeah, maybe I might need to I might need to go on the, the walk in the park with you, Will, in a few years' time. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Taking a bit of a um a bit of a different tack now. Uh, what's your view of of marketing campaigns aimed at men? I mean, it feels like these have gone through quite a lot of change in recent years. You know, thankfully, a lot of the kind of blatant sort of sexist ones from back in the day for deodorant and beer brands and so on are, are thankfully mostly behind us. It does feel like sometimes men and the behaviour of men has been spotlighted quite a lot in, in recent years. And then there's also been some campaigns sort of looking at men's mental health too. What do you think of the way men are marketed to? And I appreciate talking about men as a demographic is maybe a bit a bit odd seeing as we're 50% of, of the population of the world. But nevertheless, I think it's worth looking at. Do you think that the balance is right when it comes to the sort of those kind of campaigns targeting the behaviour of men? Or do you feel that, you know, maybe there is a bit of stereotyping going on here that's perhaps unfair? Do you have any particular thoughts on on that? I don't know. It's just maybe just an observation that I've made. But I just feel like every advertisement aimed at men has a beer, a beer can in it or some sort of alcohol image and I don't know why that is because not every man drinks alcohol I drink alcohol occasionally but I'm not like a a hardcore drinker or anything Um, and I just feel like sometimes those sorts of campaigns can be a bit hit hit and miss because some people will obviously resonate with it straight away everyone likes to kind of have a bit of a drink around uh, a sport but some people don't some people just want to go to the football match and watch the game, enjoy the match, and then probably have a drink afterwards. But there's always campaigns or advertisements around guys like throwing beer cans in the air during the match. And it's just all these typical stereotypes that I feel like sometimes they 
they can just not really hit the mark for me. But that's just an observation that I've made. Yeah, no, fair enough. It's probably true, actually. It feels like, you know, the sort of drinking with your buddies sort of trope. And obviously there are a lot of men that do that. But yeah, it feels like that's that's one that the sector sort of focuses on quite a lot. Do you have any particular views, Will? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be echoing Emmanuel. I mean, I think the other one that, that comes to mind is particularly around gambling and that, that seems to have a particular focus. I, I, it's not something I engage with myself, but that does... There is a there's a focus there from the industry, but what you were talking around originally there, John, it's such a big topic, as you say. Um, we could probably spend a few podcasts discussing it, I'm sure. And it's got there's so much history around the way in which uh, advertising and marketing has taken place in the past and where it's got to. I think the way it's got to now with more nuance and really challenging some of those stereotypes to be much more inclusive in terms of representation, but challenging some of the masculinity that used to exist within those more sporting or shaver advertising of sorts of if it's good enough for this attractive man, then it's going to be good enough for you. Then I think that it is heading in the right direction to challenge those stereotypes that exist that then put huge pressure on men that they've got to do a certain thing so to be x individual i think we just need to ensure that the way in which it goes is uh, respectful it's positive it, it always try and create as much dialogue around things so we talk around this too and we continue to ensure that there are diverse perspectives helping build these campaigns because clearly you could look at campaigns from 15, 20 plus years ago, and clearly they were being developed by generally white males, I would guess in most senses. So there's, it's, it seems like we're moving in the right direction, but there's, there's clearly a lot more to be done. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I don't know if you both saw this recent campaign for a few weeks ago for um, Norwich uh, City Football Club, a kind of mental health campaign of two two supporters of the game kind of just sitting there kind of watching watching the sport and I won't give it away, but it's a really sort of powerful campaign for mental health support. So I recommend anyone having a look at that. So, yeah, it it does feel like there is more nuance and there is more of a sense of the industry sort of taking issues like men's mental health seriously. Although I totally appreciate what you're saying, Emmanuel, about, you know, a lot of the kind of stereotypical stuff is probably still there. I just think, thankfully, a lot of it is is sort of gone away from the blatant sexism uh, of the past, although no doubt there are still some examples of that, sadly. Okay, so final question, really. Uh, One of the questions I I asked in in the article I wrote last week was, do we need a men in PR group or something that goes by another name, but basically something that would support and advocate for men in the industry as there is for women in the industry with women in PR, women in public affairs and and, and other groups. What do you think about that? Do you think that would be a a welcome thing for the sector? In simple, it's yes. I think there's definitely room for it. I think it can bring benefits, but I don't think this is about creating, hopefully stating the obvious, creating a gentleman's club or a, a lads, lads, lads network. It's about firstly identifying what we need to be focusing on as an industry from a male perspective so where are the challenges the areas that need to be overcome I would suspect as we've touched on a little bit today around mental health around managing the the pressure uh, the strain that there would probably be something in that I would guess 
but being led by what we're actually seeing in the the, the industry and ultimately by data would be a good good place to start and then building out a healthy network to support men in the best way possible and really open up conversations about how they're feeling I think that would be a a healthy place to start yeah to stress the point that was the the point I made as well that you know such a group would be about progressive causes about things like closing the gender pay gap and you know having more equal parental leave but also as you say a lot of mental health support and just discussing positive policies that can help men and women in the industry too so uh, yeah I totally agree Uh, Emmanuel what's your what are your thoughts yeah, I, I totally agree with Will. Um, I'm up for anything positive that can help move our industry forward. And I feel that with men coming together in our industry, you know, it's only going to be beneficial, I think, longer term. If people come to the table with the right sort of mindset, I think, you know, it can it can create great opportunities, even for the new generation. I think, you know, there's so much more that we can do as men to encourage younger talent into our industry I feel that once you get to a certain level a lot of people forget to look back and remember that they once were an account executive or they once were a PR intern sometimes it just becomes a thing of um, where can I go to next or what's the next promotion I can get sometimes it's a case of taking a step back and looking back and seeing okay I've reached a certain level within the industry how can I give back now what can I do to give back to you know someone just starting out in PR or someone that's just approached me on LinkedIn how can I support them Maybe I can put them in touch with this men in PR group, match them with a mentor or someone. So I think it's a great idea. And I think, you know, this podcast hopefully will be the beginning of a discussion around something like that and making it a more formalized thing, because I definitely do feel that the industry would benefit greatly from it. Great. Absolutely. Well, it's a great discussion to have. And hopefully the conversation will continue and, you know, the industry will will look at these issues while obviously not shying away from the difficulties, the many difficulties experienced by a lot of a lot of women in the industry as well. But these issues are nuanced. And I think it's, it's important to sort of take a broad view and look at what needs to change and change it in the spirit of being a kind of progressive sector that's changing with the times. So that's all we have for this episode. Thanks so much to Emmanuel and to Will. Before we go, I'd like to say keep a lookout at PRWeek.com for regular news and insights about the PR industry. And a quick plug for PR Week's Corporate Affairs Awards, PR Week Global Awards and the Brand Film Awards EMEA, all of which are open for entries. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.